0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Introduce Israel, who has come to share on the topic of redemption. Um, so, over to you, and we'll just unmute you there. There we go. Can you unmute? Yes. Thank you, Kat. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service. Good to see you again. Kat and I, uh, I was reminded, met in Lithuania at the European Young People's Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, was two summers ago, right? It was, there was no conference this past summer, but there will be next summer in Warsaw, we hope. So, uh, put it on your calendar. Um, what better thing to do than Go to Warsaw for a conference of alcoholics anonymous. Um, thank you, Gordon, for inviting me also. Before I uh, get started, I just want to thank uh, Amanda for greeting and and uh Rob for reading. That was uh that was a little bit of Dr. Bob's nightmare. Um and uh I think it speaks to redemption. I think it speaks to uh a lot of stuff that I'll try and get back to it at, uh, towards. I want to introduce myself. I want to uh, uh, attempt to convince you that I'm an alcoholic, that you haven't wasted an hour and a half of your life by coming here tonight. Um, so I'll start at the beginning. My name is Yisrael, an alcoholic, and um, thank you all. And uh, thanks to those of you who... Uh, I sponsor or are sponsored by people I sponsor or share a home group with or share a country with or simply um, have met throughout the years. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor to participate in a meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous anywhere, at any time. Um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I want to say a couple more things. I told you my name. I told you that I'm an alcoholic. I want to tell you that I have a home group. It's the Mediterranean group. Uh, we meet on Wednesday nights. Uh, we do it on Zoom, of course, now, so you're welcome to join. Uh, you can ask me for the information. I'll put it in the chat or I'll ask Gordon to put it in the chat. They're pretty restrictive here with the chatting. They don't like, they don't like a lot of chatting going on during the speaker. Yeah. So if you want to get chatting, you're going to have to go to AOL, to your chat rooms over in AOL or somewhere else because you can't chat here. Um I'm an alcoholic. I told you that. I have a home group. I want to tell you that I also have a sobriety date. It is the 14th of February, 1980. Uh Last February, I celebrated 40 years of continuous sobriety. That is redemptive in and of itself. That is a miracle in and of itself. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I say that it's an honor to participate in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous for the following reason. The, the re, the, the, that I have, the life I have is uh, tremendous. It's uh, not always easy. It's been some times downright difficult, painful. Uh, I haven't gotten everything I wanted to get in life. I haven't been able to hold on to much of what I've gotten in life. I've uh, I've lost my parents in sobriety. I've been married. I've been divorced. I've been, you know, uh, I've had jobs. I've had jobs that I really wanted. I've had jobs that I really hated. Um, I've had both. Uh, it's, I, it's gone back and forth. Um, it hasn't been, you know, sometimes I think we hear speakers and I hear speakers in AA where it sounds like, you know, they got sober and they never had a negative emotion after that and, and they, you know, you, you hear a talk and it's something like this. You know, I, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I could barely speak. And now I've created my own language. It's being used around the world by people. Uh, they speak my language and, uh, and I've, you know, I didn't have any education and now I own a college. Um, and I have a, more degrees every day. I get a new degree and I've gotten degrees that no one else has ever gotten is the way it sounds sometimes to me so so i want you to know that um i uh that's not been my experience i have a life that's tremendous i have a life that's beyond beyond my wildest dreams absolutely but it's a life it's a human life it has its ups and downs it has its pain it has its you know i behave well sometimes it's 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 remarkable how well i behave sometimes and i behave really badly sometimes It's remarkable how badly I behave sometimes. And, um, I picked up my first drink when I was nine years old. I waited. I could have used a drink on the way to kindergarten. Uh, You can't convince me that a uh, shot of bourbon wouldn't have taken the edge off nap time. It was a horribly traumatic day for me. I'd spent The previous five years with one woman, almost exclusively, we had been joined two years previous by another little baby who spent some attention from my mother, uh, but not that much attention. And uh, suddenly she took me to a room full of people my size and left me there. What I know about alcohol is that had they given out shots at nap time, I would have had a lot better day on the first day of kindergarten. I kid, but not so much. I could have used a drink on the way to kindergarten or absolutely any day prior to the day I drank. It's important for me to remember that. It's important for me to remember that alcohol was a solution. It became a problem, but it started out a solution. It was a solution to a problem I did not know I had, it was the answer to a question I did not know I was asking. Uh, a couple of things. My sponsor of blessed memory, Clancy Emmislin, who passed away this past summer. He's not my sponsor anymore. I mean, he's my sponsor by extension, of course. Huh? I'm of the opinion that you can communicate with dead people. I mean, they don't talk back so much, but like... You know, I, I've i been to the graves of the great Hasidic rabbis in Ukraine. If I go to Warsaw next summer, I will make a point to visit the Kotzker's grave, who's been dead for a couple hundred years. Like, that's, you know, where I'm holding. So, uh, that Clancy's only been dead since July or June or July, you know, certainly he lives on and will for a long time. I, I believe with my whole heart that Clancy Muslim was the single greatest service worker in Alcoholics Anonymous' history. Um Simply and purely and simply by extent, by the amount of time that he was active in Alcoholics Anonymous, which was over 62 uh, years. And um, that's pretty remarkable. That's pretty remarkable. He was, he, I want to point out one thing. He was almost 10 years in AA before he got sober. So if we had someone here that was 10 years sober, that, that, that had been here 10 years and wasn't sober yet, we would... I mean, we probably wouldn't say it, but we would think, wow, that guy's a loser. Um, at least somewhere, we would have to say that. Otherwise, we couldn't, with all good conscience, say this works for anyone that works it. Or well, we'd have to pick them apart to see what it was they weren't doing. But almost 10 years without sobriety. Who knew on October 30th, 1958, that the next day, Clancy would begin a run I'm not on parallel. I'm sure there's people with more than 62 years, but who would who would think that the next day he was going to begin a 62 year? I mean, it was 62. right? It was yeah, yeah. Um, we just I don't know, I'm really bad at math when I'm talking. I can't. I can talk and chew gum, but I can't talk and do math. It's a it's a problem. It doesn't surface that often, but there's times when it it's a glaring. It's a glaring defect. You would think, God, a guy like that should be able to talk into math. But it turns out I can't. Anyway, who would have thought? Who would have thought that this guy is going to not drink for the next 62 years? Nobody would have thought that. Nobody thought he would have been sober through the weekend. So that's redemption, right? We don't know when that's going to come. We don't know. And, and I want to point out one other thing while I'm on the topic of of. Of crazy, crazy stuff in sobriety. Did you hear what Rob read? It is Rob, right? It was Rob. I'd hate to spend a whole hour. and I'm not going to speak for the whole hour, but I'd hate to spend the next 32 minutes saying Rob when it wasn't Rob. When it was like Harry or Harold or something. Listen to this. I'm going to read it again because probably it was towards the end. You might not have still been listening. Unlike most of our crowd, and this crowd is a pretty esteemable AA crowd, we're talking about Bill Wilson, Bob Smith, Clarence Snyder, AA, you know, uh, these guys were like, you know, their stories are in the big book, let's say. And, And one of them's in the big, big book, you know, in the first 164 pages. I don't know why Dr. Bob's isn't, but it's not, but it should be. Anyway, unlike most of our crowd, I did not get over my craving for liquor much during the first two and one half years of abstinence i mean that's that's crazy isn't it that our co-founder thought had a craving to drink for two and a half years of sobriety i don't think i've ever had a craving to drink in 40 years of sobriety if i've had one i haven't had ten. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm not one of these guys. You know, that's like, well, we're back in you know, there when I was, when I was, you know, I, 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 they worked our steps in a day, sometimes two hours. You know, they, they were serious. Now we're we're kidding around. We're 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 lazy. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not like, you know, the guy. I mean, he sits there in the meeting. He says, "You think when I got sober, we had coffee cups? Hell no. We put the grounds in our mouth and we drank boiling water. We didn't need a cup." I'm not one of those guys. I don't know. When, when I hear someone talk about wanting to drink and then picking up a drink, they never say, yeah, I want, how long do you want to drink for? 30 minutes? 10 seconds? You know what I mean? No one ever says, Oh, well, I wanted to drink for two and a half years. I think it's remarkable for many reasons. One, that he didn't drink, even though he wanted to for two and a half years. Two, that it was our co-founder. These guys were human beings having human experiences. They weren't. They weren't like Chuck and Clancy and Bob Dow. They weren't. They, they were just regular human beings. And guess what? So are we. We're just regular human beings having a human experience, and we're not drinking as a result of the application of the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to our life. But I get ahead of myself. I picked up my first drink when I was nine, and it was not unlike Dr. Young, describes Roland Hazard's experience with alcohol, right? Dr. Young treated Roland Hazard. Roland Hazard was the guy that brought the message to Ebby. Ebby is the guy that brought the message to Bill. For some reason, Ebby bringing the message to Bill didn't get credit for starting the program. I don't know why. But it didn't, right? Bill brought the message to Bob, and now we have Alcoholics Anonymous. June 10th, 1935. The first day, most of us count our sobriety from the first day we don't drink. Bob counted it from the last day he drank, okay? So he's the co-founder. He gets to do what he wants. Anyway, Dr. Young, Carl Young, second most famous psychiatrist in the history of the world, treated Roland Hazard. And he said this of Roland, his experience of Roland's drinking. His craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness. Expressed in medieval language, the union with God. What Carl Jung says there is that Roland wasn't drinking because he was drinking because he was attempting to have a spiritual experience. I imagine he was attempting, attempting to have a spiritual experience because, I'm sorry, I was just taken by Alexandra's picture. She was so beautiful and now she's a dog, but only because she turned off her video and there's a picture of a dog there. I'm sorry for pointing that out. It's none of my business. She's an Amagai, I think is the word. Okay, I'm going to focus on alcoholism now. What I want to point out, and what Dr. Young points out, and he says it even more clearly at the end of the letter, he says, you see, alcohol in Latin is spiritus. And you use the same language. She's back to being human again, but that's, again, none of my business. You see, alcohol in Latin is spiritus, and you use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as the most depraving poison. The helpful formula, therefore, is spiritus contra spiritum. Why am I belaboring the point? Why am I quoting Dr. Young other than because I want you to think that I have really high class sobriety and only Dr. Young really makes it understandable for me. I want to say this. Alcohol was the solution. That's what Clancy used to say. Clancy used to say, we aren't people with, we alcoholics aren't people with drinking problems. People with drinking problems stop drinking and they stop having problems. We are people with living problems. Alcohol was our solution. Clancy also used to say, alcohol, Al- alcoholics anonymous does for us slowly what alcohol used to do for us quickly. So why I say that, and if you're new here tonight and you're thinking, my God, I just wanted to go to an AA meeting. I didn't want a whole lesson on Roland and Ebby and Dr. Young and who knows what this guy's going to talk about. I want to point this out. If you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, yes, not drinking is the goal. Absolutely not drinking is what we're trying to do one day at a time. But don't for a second Think that because you stopped drinking, you've taken care of the problem. You have not taken care of the problem. You have taken care of the solution. I'll, I'll grant you it hasn't been a very successful solution for a long time, but think back to when you started drinking. For me, alcohol was so powerful, That it filled me with golden light like a guided meditation. It pushed out fear, anxiety, self-obsession. I felt filled with strength and power. The ability to answer the call of whatever happened next. That had never been my experience. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if fear, self-obsession, anxiety can be transferred through breast milk. But if it can, it was. Because from my very first experience, I was fearful. My very first memories, I was filled with, I could be, I was hyper aware of what you had that you were going to get, that I wasn't going to get, what you were going to, what I was going to lose, that you had, what was better about your house. Oh my God, I would have gone crazy in Zoom. Look at that mantelpiece. Look at all those cards. I only got three Christmas cards. I'm on the Pacific Group's Christmas card list. And I only got three cards. Kat has ten there easily. Look at Amanda's curtains and, and wow. I mean I can go through the list. Look at how nicely trimmed Rob's beard is. And mine's a tangled mess. I could just go picture by picture, finding what's better about you than what's better about what's worse about me. And that was gone when I drank. And even better than that. We used to drive down into West Philadelphia, which is like the ghetto on Friday afternoon. We'd steal my friend's car because none of us were old enough to drive, let alone old enough to drink. We'd buy a case of cold 45 malt liquor and throw it in the trunk of the car. And you know what? As soon as that beer was in the trunk, I felt better. I didn't even have to drink to feel better. I just had to have access to alcohol. And, and so I came to Alcoholics Anonymous in February of 1980. I was 16 years old. Of course, I did a lot of drugs. I don't, I consider sobriety to be, we can argue about what the third tradition means. I believe the third tradition means abstinence from alcohol, but I want you to know that I consider sobriety to be abstinence from any chemical that affects me from the neck up that I've prescribed for myself that wasn't prescribed by a doctor. I have a caveat. The doctor has to have prescribed it to me. It's not enough for me to take your prescribed medication and call it prescribed. The doctor has to know me. I guess they have to have a medical doctor. They, they don't take prescription drugs prescribed by PhDs. Uh, you know what I'm saying. It has to be for... I'm not a doctor. I already said that with the breastbone. But, so if you need... Prescribed medication, I'm not here to tell you you can't take it. In fact, I'm telling you to take it if it was given to you by a doctor. I'm telling you what I don't do. I don't smoke pot. I don't take other people's pills. I don't crush things up like and snort them, you know, and I haven't for 40 years. So I, I want to, you know, it's a medium of Alcoholics Anonymous. I identify as an alcoholic, but that's what I'm talking about when I talk about spray. Okay, so I come to Alcoholics Anonymous in early February, and um, I want to just glance on a couple of things that happened there. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I'd never read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know there was something called the phenomenon of craving. Uh, this talk is being recorded. Maybe I should say the word phenomenon again. Better the second time, I think. I didn't know that existed, this craving thing. I didn't know there was a uh, a strange mental blank spot. and didn't know that. I didn't know that self-knowledge availed me nothing. I didn't know I needed a entire psychic change as described by the doctor and the doctor's opinion. I didn't know that people generally drank for the effect. I didn't know anything except this. I had recently gotten in a lot of trouble around alcohol. And I knew one other thing. My friend Lizanne had gotten sober in Alcoholics Anonymous some three months before I did. And I saw something change in her eyes. And that's why I called Alcoholics Anonymous that morning. I, I'd gone to school. I'd thrown up in the hallway, which is not allowed in a Catholic boys' school. I want you to know that I, I'd had a hit-and-run accident with a Catholic priest. The night before, it was a bad run with me and the Catholics. I was a Catholic at the time. I, I want to assure you it was not an inter-religious quarrel that was going on. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, the name Chris, Christopher was my given name. I was a 16-year-old Irish-Italian Catholic kid from Philadelphia. Now, I sit before you a 57-year-old Orthodox Jew living in Jerusalem. I can't promise that if you work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll end up an Orthodox Jew living in Jerusalem. I can only tell you that it has happened. I don't know if it's happened twice, but it has happened at least once. It is amongst the possible things that could happen to one who works the twelve steps. So know that going in. I'm teasing. Of course. I'm not I'm not an Orthodox Jew against my will. I'm not being held. I'm not trying to flash signs. Free me. I'm here by choice. I I, I didn't set out to build this life. It would be very hard to have gone to my guidance counselor and say two weeks sober in the middle of my eleventh grade year at Archbishop John Carroll High School for boys and when they said what would you like to be? I'd say an orthodox Jew. You know, the whole thing, the curls, the hat, the hat under the hat the the strings I'd like it all. No, I couldn't do that I wouldn't have known to think to do that I don't think they would have known how to tell me how to do it That's what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me and 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 I don't say that to scare you, I say that to inspire you Because I don't want you to have my life. You're not here to have my life. You're here to have your life. But I hope you take it as a good sign that I have gotten a life here. I'm not here under duress. I'm not here because anyone told me to be here tonight. I am here, as Dr. Bob said, to pay back a debt. But not just to the man. And I don't think Dr. Bob would have described it that way upon reflection either. Not just to the man. Though so I owe a debt to the man that brought me to, not my first meeting. My first meeting I got to on my own. But at my first meeting, I spent a whole day at an AA clubhouse. A bunch of people gave me their phone numbers. A bunch of people. One guy took my number. And the next day he called me. And I believe with my whole heart, I don't know what would happen. I'm not a soothsayer or a seer. I don't know what would happen if he hadn't called. I don't have to know what happened if he hadn't called. Maybe if he hadn't called some days later, I would have called someone, but I was not going to call anyone that day. And he called me. What I'm saying, if I'm not being clear enough, is when a newcomer asks you for your phone number, give get their phone number too. Because you have been an Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if you've been here a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years. However long you've been here, you've been here longer than that. And it's going to be a lot easier for you to call them for them to call you. I don't even know if I knew I was supposed to call people, but I certainly wasn't going to. I wasn't built in such a way to call a complete stranger and say, hi, I'm having trouble. Hi, I'm having a difficulty. Hi, I'm afraid. Hi, I'm obsessed. uh, That's not how I work. But he called me and he said, how'd you like to go to a meeting tonight? And I thought, i don't want to go to a meeting? So I said, yes. He said, great. And he picked me up and he took me to a meeting. And I not that means my, my dear friend Scott Redman of blessed memory used to say that alcoholism is contagious. We catch it through our ears. And I believe that. I believe that's how I caught alcoholism, through my ears. And what I mean to say is that at that second meeting, the one that Paul brought me to because he called me. I sat there and I listened to people share for an hour. I went into that meeting. Everyone said there was a daily young people's beginners meeting on a Wednesday night, the 5th of February, 6th of February, again, math, again. The Wednesday after the Tuesday, that was the 1st February of 1980, if you want to look it up, because you're bored and you can't chat. If you want to look it up and you're bored and you can't chat, during the question and answers, tell us whether it was the fifth or the sixth. Anyway, everyone went around that room and said their name and that they were an alcoholic. I was freaking out because I did not know that I was an alcoholic. And I wasn't willing to say I was without knowing that I was. And he got to Paul and he must have read it on my face because he just said, my name is Paul. And I was the only one left. And I said, my name is Chris. And then I listened to you share for an hour and talk about what it meant. You said your name and that you were an alcoholic. And then you talked about yourself and your emotional experience, your spiritual experience, your psychological experience. And you described yourselves in a way that I understood I was one of them too. And what I don't believe it was a meeting then set up for me. I think it was just a beginner's meeting. And you talked about what you talked about. But I was convinced within that hour that if you were alcoholic, and I had no reason to believe that you weren't, that I was an alcoholic too, and I left that meeting, having recovered. If we're going to get into that debate, and I guess we are, because I'm the one talking, right? It says we're we are recovered. Someone said they were recovered. Many people say they're recovered. Some people say they're recovering. It's a big thing. People say this. People say that. The book clearly says recovered at the beginning. My sponsor Clancy used to say. Um, he, his idea was that Bob Bill was trying to sell books and if he had written he, so he wrote the story of how many thousands of men and women are I think in the first edition of the story of how more than a 100 men and women, it was probably about 70 we think, have recovered from alcoholism and, and Clancy used to say imagine what it would look like if the book started the story of how many thousands of women are recovering from alcoholism some days more successfully, some days less successfully, some days they're giant assholes and some days they're really good people right? But regardless, it goes on to say what they've recovered from. They've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Let's think about that for a second. Not a hopeless state of mind and body. They weren't hopeless. No one here is hopeless. If you're one of the 169 people here, you are not hopeless. Know that. If you came here thinking, if if uh 44 minutes ago you thought you were hopeless, let me assure you, you are not hopeless. I don't care if it's your very first day in AA or your or you've been struggling to get sober for years, or you've been sober for years, right? I have uh, someone who says, uh, I don't remember where I heard it. If I do ever hear it from whoever said it, I will give them credit. They like to greet the people in their first 30 days of sobriety and their last 30 days of sobriety. And I think that's important because there are people here that are sober a long time that are suffering from alcoholism. And are about to quit coming. And or maybe are about to quit trying to live. And that's who the fifth tradition talks to, I believe. We don't, the tradition does not say that we're here to help the newly recovering alcoholic or the newly sober, suffering alcoholic. It says we're here to, doesn't qualify who's the suffering alcoholic. We are here, 167 of us, two people just left. I hope it wasn't them. I hope they come back if it was them. We are here to help the suffering alcoholic, whether that person is one day sober, not yet sober, or 10 years sober, 20 years sober, 30 years sober, 50 years sober. It doesn't matter. The suffering are suffering and we're here to serve them. So, if... You came here forty five minutes ago thinking you were hopeless. Let me assure you you're not. And in fact you have then recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And I'm I'm not I'm not just being cute. I know I'm incredibly cute. I'm adorable. I know. It's hard. That's kinda why beard and the curls to kinda downplay the adorableness. To give you a fighting shot at listening to what I'm saying and not just staring at my face not just being cute by saying that you have recovered and i'm not poking it's no small feat to have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body because it's only seemingly once you're not in it when you came here and you thought you were hopeless being seemingly hopeless or actually hopeless doesn't seem to make much of a difference hopeless is hopeless i want you to know that much of the redemption of Alcoholics Anonymous is that hope, purpose, hope, reason. That's what I've been given here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Spiritual principles to replace the spiritual experience of drinking. A spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience that has, again, I have been sober for 40 years, but I haven't been sober like I was for those nine years before I drank. My sobriety now, I, I, I wasn't shooting for sobriety when I got here because sobriety had been miserable. The sobriety I have now is not like the sobriety I had then, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks to the spiritual experience I've been given here. The, the purpose, the cut and dried purpose. What is my purpose? To be happy, joyous, and free. That's a tall order. I tend towards misery. I tend towards scarcity. I tend towards unhappiness. I tend towards negativity. I am Compelled, I'm told that it's God's will for me. We run. I used. To, I don't know if we still do. I don't. I, I'm not in that place. But when I was newly sober for the first number of years, God, if I said anything, I said, "What is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? What's God's will for me? What's God's will for me? I want to, What should I do? What should I be? What's God's will for me? It's, it's laid out two places in the book to be happy, joyous, and free." And to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and my fellows. I have a purpose and a reason today for being here. Like Dr. Bob said, yes, I pay back the debt to Paul and to Dan, because Paul invited me to a meeting that he couldn't get me to. He didn't have a car. I didn't have a car either. I destroyed it the night before. So Paul needed to first find out if I could go to the meeting or would go to the meeting, and then he had to get us a ride. And Dan, a guy named Dan, was willing to drive us. Many times Dan drove us. Paul, Paul had some—I don't know what he had—pictures of Dan doing things. I don't. No, of course not. Dan is also a member of Alcoholics nice. Anonymous. Dan is also trying to fit himself to be of maximum service. To God and his fellows. I speak about God a lot. I know I do. Not as much as some of the guys I sponsor, but a lot. There was a Hasidic rabbi in, in, in uh, the Ukraine. I was going to say in Lithuania, but he wasn't in Lithuania. Uh, in this late 1700s by the name of Lady Yitzhak from Berdichev, the town of Berdica. And he is said to have said to the town atheist, but I think it's the perfect thing to say in in an Alcoholics Anonymous talk. The God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. So if you're sitting here thinking, this guy says God one more time, I'm going to puke right on the screen, right in the camera. I'm not even going to try and hide it. I'm not even going to put my hands up. I'm going to puke on my computer. It will be worth losing my computer just to puke if this guy says God one more time. I want you to know the God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. That's not the God I'm talking about. I'm talking about the God that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, I've taken the spiritual way of life, and I've, for me, I've enlisted religious life also. But that's from me. What I learned from Paul early on. And what I knew from Paul, whether I learned, I don't, you know, wasn't a lesson per se, was that Paul and I were a power greater than me. What Alcoholics Anonymous told me is that I, you have to make contact, be in relationship, I don't know the words I used. You have to have a power greater than yourself in order to affect sobriety, in order to start this path. And I thought they meant God. But what I learned is that me and any one of you are a power greater than me. That's where it started for me, and that's where it stays at any given moment. That in and of itself wasn't enough to sustain me or my interest or my imagination for 40 years. So I've been on a lot of different spiritual paths. The longest lasting and most affecting has been my journey into Judaism, but that's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, on any given day, me and any one of you are a power greater than me. And so the debt isn't just to Paul and to Dan, the debt is to everyone, the debt is to the people that are here tonight, you know. Uh, I, I often tell a story and I'm going to tell it one more time because I have a couple of minutes. Um, there's a story about the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was the founder of Hasidic Judaism. Hasidic Judaism came along in the late 1700s and, and Judaism had like kind of ossified and gotten rigid and strict and was full of rules and, 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 and you know, you had to do this and you couldn't do that. And, and, uh, it's, it's not, it's not nothing that I bring up the idea of rigidity. I think that sometimes Alcoholics Anonymous or its members, I don't think the program itself, uh, when we act from a, a loving group conscience, embodies this. But I think sometimes our members hold on a little tight and adopt rigidity in a way that's unhealthy. Though I think it's so. unhealthy. Anyway, along comes this guy and he says, we have to laugh and we have to dance and we have to sing. That's what we have to do we we have to love God by dancing and laughing and singing. Well, yeah, we have to keep the rules too, but let, let's focus on laughing, dancing, and singing. And so when he's going to die, he, he starts this whole thing. And, and uh, he's about to die, and he gives each of his followers a job. And the big guys get the big jobs, and the little guys get the little jobs. And there's this one little guy that hasn't gotten a job yet. So finally, he's called into the Boston go and the Boston go says, your job is to go throughout Europe and tell the stories of our life and our work. And, and, just like he was in AA, the very, what's the very first thing someone says in AA when they get a commitment? For how long? Right? We don't even, we've never done the job once. And our first question is, uh, for how long do I have this, this commitment? Right? Yeah, I'll make coffee for how long? GSR for how long? You know, that's what we want to know. When can I stop? We haven't started yet. When can I stop? So he, the Bosch tells, says, you'll know when to stop. You'll, you'll, and he does. He goes throughout Europe. and you know, after they bury the Bosch himself and he, tells the life of their story, the stories of their life and their work and he crisscrosses Europe. And for years, he's the storyteller of the Boston himself. one day he wakes up and he thinks, maybe I'm done. And then he hears that there's an Italian nobleman who's paying gold ducats, gold coins to hear new stories of the Baal he himself. Wow a gold coin for each story. I am the storyteller. This is all I do. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, he makes his way there and he's thinking about all the things he's going to do with the gold. And he can't wait to, Oh, I'm glad I hung on. I'm glad he didn't tell me to stop after two years. I'm glad I'm still the GSR because now I'm going to be delegate. And he gets there and he's brought in and the guy can't wait to, the guy sees him and brings him in and he sits him right in front of him. And suddenly he can't think of a single story, not one. It's so their whole thing. Finally, the guy's like, look, get some food, get some drink, you know, rest, play tennis, whatever you want, late 1700s. Two days, nothing. Three days, nothing. Finally, the storyteller gets up. He says, I have to leave. I'm humiliated. I can't believe this. All I do, all I've done for years is tell stories of the Boston Globe. I can't think of a single story. The guy doesn't want him to leave, but he lets him leave. He can't keep him. And he's storyteller's on his way down the path back to the village when he thinks of one story. Seemingly inconsequential, seemingly insignificant. And he makes his way back and he's brought in with great fanfare. And he says, look, I don't know why I'm telling you this story. It doesn't make any sense to tell you this story. It's inconsequential. insignificant. I just want to prove I'm not going to take any money from you. I just want to prove that I am he tries to tell the following story. He says, one spring season the Boston, says, get the horses ready. We're going to Turkey. Says, Turkey's not a good place for the Jews at Easter. The Christians, you know, God killer, you know, it's not good, not good. Get the horses ready. We're going to take him. So he's, he's driving there. He's thinking, okay, we'll lay low. Surely they're hiding in the ghetto. And sure enough, they were. And Boston Tov goes in and throws open the, sh- the shutters that look down on the town square just as the Christian procession is entering. And he says to the little and the storyteller, Go get the bishop. The bishop, the guy with the hat and the stick he doesn't look very happy. Bishops rarely look happy. Get the bishop. He makes his way down. Somehow he gets through the whole crowd. Nobody even says anything, let alone screams at him, let alone attacks him. He makes his way to the bishop. And the bishop says he'll come after the mass and talk to the Baal Shem Tov and he does for three hours they're in a the back room and then the Baal Shem Tov comes out and he says get the horses ready we're going home he says the horses are already ready and they go home and that's the end of the story and before he can look up one more time and apologize for telling an inconsequential insignificant story he sees that the nobleman has completely changed his whole attitude on outlook on life has changed he's crying he's before the chazid can say one more word he stops him and he says I was that bishop I was a rabbi. I came from a long line of rabbis. I went along with persecution was so much that I converted to Christianity and Christians so loved that after some years, they made me their bishop. I went along with the persecution of my own people. And finally, when you came and said the Boston coast wanted to talk to me, I knew I had to speak to him and I did. And he said, he said, is there any way I can be forgiven? And is there any way I can be healed? And he said, go live a quiet life of good deeds. And if ever anyone comes and tells your story, you'll know you've been forgiven. You've been healed. Three days ago you came here, but you couldn't tell my story. And now you did. I recognized you immediately, but you didn't see me. But now you've told my story, and now I know that I've been forgiven and I've been healed. And I say to you that it's here in Alcoholics Anonymous more than anywhere else in the world where I hear my story told. And you're the people that tell it. That's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous. Every time I hear my story told, when you tell your story, I hear my story, and I know I've been forgiven and I've been healed. And that's what—that's what Dr. Bob said, right? That's what he said. He said I've been. What was different about this guy? Right. Bill arranges to meet Bob. It's too long a story to go into. Bob's forced by his wife, probably, because he had passed out the day before at the table. It's Mother's Day. Of course, he has to do what Ann wants to do, and Ann wants to go meet the stockbroker from New York. But, but Bob says, he says in the book, I'd spoken to everyone that knew anything about alcoholism. The last thing he wanted to do was talk to a New York stockbroker. Right? I know for a fact, I heard his son tell the story. His son was in the back of that car that day. Bob turned to Anne and said, we'll give this bird 15 minutes. In other words, I've heard all I need to hear about alcoholism. I've been lectured to enough. We'll give this bird 15 minutes. And they stayed five hours. Because Bill didn't want to talk to Bob about Bob. Bill wanted to talk to Bob about Bill. Bill told Bob Bill's story. We tell each other our own stories. And yet, in hearing your story, I hear my story. And in hearing my story in your story, exactly what happened to me in February of 1980, and please, God, may it happen for someone tonight, or if not tonight, come back again tomorrow in another, or go to a meeting in an hour. Stay until you hear your story told by someone else, or parts of it, maybe not the whole story. Just parts of it will be enough to keep you here another day, to work these steps in your life, to recover from alcoholism. That's the redemption available here. Freedom. Freedom to be you, not freedom to be me. Freedom to be you. Stay for that. Don't leave without it. Insist on it. Thank you.